Welcome to Don't Shrink Back, the podcast. We do a podcast version, also a video version of the series. You can find us at don'tshrinkback.com. I'm Heidi Harris. Don't Shrink Back comes from Hebrews 10.39. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. More and more we see people culturally who just don't seem to want to stand up, but there are many people who are. This podcast celebrates people who are morally courageous, spiritually courageous, culturally courageous. So I hope you join us on this journey. I hope you tell somebody about it and find us at don'tshrinkback.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, don'tshrinkback.com. And you can email us if you'd like to offer suggestions for people you think should be highlighted as the courageous people they are. We hope to embolden you and enlighten you and entertain you too. Guy Nora joins me today. He's such an interesting guy because he ran for governor a couple of years ago, which is when he came to the attention of a lot of people in the state of Nevada. Meanwhile, before that, he was just working as a venture capitalist. A lot of people knew him in his field, but they didn't really know him in the entire state until this happened. So uh, that's how I got to know him. And I'm thrilled to talk to you today. How are you? I'm doing well, very well. Thank you. How about you? I am doing well. I'm excited to to see you here today. So let's, um, first of all, I know a lot of people may not know your story. I love the courageousness that you showed in Lebanon. So you grew up in Lebanon. The next thing you know, you've got a rifle and you're trying to protect your country. Talk a little bit about the changes that you saw in Lebanon from the time you were born to the time you were 15. Yeah, so... um, it's uh, it's it's an inter- I mean, you know the, the psychology you know you could spend a lot of time talking about but basically when I was uh, 13 years old uh, I started uh, seeing that something was changing in the country and we were at the brink of civil war and usually the the way this kind of happens is that, you know you have incidents happening in different places they call them security incidents, but it's basically uh, skirmishes here and there. So when I turned 14 and a half, uh, then I, I was pretty sure it was going to happen. Now at 14 and a half, how does somebody know this? I, I, I don't know. I just, I just knew it. So I actually went uh, training, commando training in the mountains uh, with the, what was then the Christian militias. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I did I did uh, two months on the weekends, and I, as you probably know, I I would tell my parents I was going to Boy Scout camp. <laughs> I love that story; it's so great. <laughs> one day, unfortunately, just as expected, uh, it started. The war started, and you, you got a, you got a phone call. You got your number called, literally, and then you take your rifle and the ammunitions that you have and you go up where they assign you and that, that's what i did the idea obviously was uh uh protecting my neighborhood protecting my family uh my friends uh it was uh you, you know it, 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 it if, if you can just imagine any street in vegas or anywhere you live you wake up one day and the right side of paradise is one side the left side is the other side Mm-hmm. Basically, it was how it was. Right. Wow. And for you to fight, actually taking up arms at that young age. I mean, I, I realize people did that, you know, here in the Revolutionary War here in America, but that's something that a lot of people have not had experience with. So then your parents found out what you were doing and they, you were at a Boy Scout camp and they were worried about your safety. So they uh, shuffled you off to America to your aunt, right? Exactly. So uh, after about three months, three and a half months of combat, and and we can discuss the, the details uh, at, whenever you'd like. But ba- basically, I'd, I'd, I'd uh, do shifts and I'd come back home. And one time uh, they came, they came, uh, 
my my uh, superior officer came to my position and said, uh, "I'm taking you back somewhere." And I didn't know if it was a mission or or anything. Uh, he took me back home. My parents were there. They had packed my clothes, and they said, "We're leaving. Uh, we're going to Aunt Jean's in in uh, Alameda, California." And I I you know I resisted, but the futile you know next thing i know i was on an airplane flying from beirut to london london wow. to seattle seattle to san francisco so wow what a story so yeah talk a little bit about when you when you were basically trying to fight for your country's safety what kind of things did you see and experience oh god you know uh f- first of all i i i uh uh, there's a brotherhood between myself and all the veterans in our country and which is mm-hmm. why when i was running my campaign i spent a lot of time with veterans um it's hard, you know, you know, unless you've done it, it's really hard to explain. I think uh, it's not what you see. In, it's not like what you see in the movies. Um, some 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 movies are better than others, but it, it, it's it's again, um, you don't think about it. I, I, mean, I don't know if it was age or just uh, or just me. Uh, you do what you have to do. You mm-hmm. know, the assigned positions, you take them. And you try to hold them as long as you can. And sometimes you're assigned the counterattack and you do that. And you try to do the best you can at all times. Wow. Well, it's uh, obviously something I can't even imagine. So you moved to America. You're 15 years old. You're thrown in high school in America. Did you speak English already? Luckily, I did. Okay. Uh, we travel a lot. And uh, I spent every summer in England. So. Okay. I had an accent, but but I, I I spoke English very well that I could fit into school um, seamlessly. Other than you know just having an accent and not knowing the system, because I had gone to an all Catholic boys' school, mm. and and now I was in the middle of Alameda High with people halfway dressed and making out in front of their lockers and. All these- <laughs> Yeah, welcome to America and the lovely culture of high school, right? Crazy land. So then you you join the band, your guitar player, and you're still doing that. You're still doing the guitar stuff. Yeah, in fact, uh, so uh, there was an assembly, and one of my friends said, uh, you know, it's a talent show. Why don't you go ahead and, and, and play? So I did. And uh, within a week, I was asked to, to join the one high school band that existed. Oh, and I said, yeah. Uh, it was called Merging Traffic. It was a lot of fun. We, we were playing, you know, 70s rock music, you know. Uh, some-, some of the best, some of the best stuff. They're still out there on stage to this day. Who would have thought, right? Some of these guys 40, 50 years later still out there doing it. All of them. They were, we played all of these, all of these. So, so uh, yeah, that was my, that was my uh, and I also, of course, did sports because uh, to me, it became a matter of assimilating. I wanted to mm-hmm. assimilate as seamlessly and as easily as I can. And the way you do that is, well, the band was lucky actually, but the way you do that is by playing sports, which, mm-hmm. which is what I did. Right. That helps too. You know, I don't know if you know this, but our previous governor, Jim Gibbons played guitar. And I went to an event one time and he was there and some people were on stage, a band. And he told one of the guys in the band, who's now a friend of mine has been for years, he said, uh, you know, I, I play guitar. He goes, really, you want to play my guitar? So we all got up there. He did Mustang Sally. <laughs> the governor, uh, and he just did a great job playing the guitar. And uh, here's here's Jim Gibbons, you know, this buttoned up guy just out there playing guitar. It was so funny. And it was one of those moments. You don't realize all the guys who are doing it in their house who can do it professionally if they want to. Yeah. I, in fact, I know that song. So uh, 
<laughs> and as I a did. former lounge singer, I know my part. Right, Sally, right. <laughs> That's the end of that. So how did you get into biotech and, and the medical field? I mean, it's so interesting. What a transition. Now, you're obviously play a musician in, in sports and things like that. But what interested you in that? And how did you get into the venture capital world and all of that? So when I finished college, um, uh, my first job was uh, selling medical equipment uh, for U.S.-made high-tech companies in Asia. Okay. So I learned, I, I, you know, so since I was the product manager, I had to learn all of these, these uh, devices, medical devices, and what they did and what they worked for as I was, you know, traveling to Asia to actually sell these products. So I, that's how I learned the medical space. And uh, we were lucky. We, uh, you know, this was the beginning of MedTech, the MedTech revolution, if you like. And it was all about uh, open heart surgery back then. And when you do open heart surgery, you have you have probably 12 products in the OR that you have to use. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Okay. And that's how, that, so I became, I became knowledgeable. Then I wanted to be CEO of a company. So I knew I had to go to an MBA and I went to an MBA in a city where the, the big medtech companies were, it's Chicago. And uh, it just so happened when I did my internship, my summer internship at a pharmaceutical company, they said, you know, you should try venture capital. You're from California, you know, let the, we'll give you some introductions. So I got a couple of introductions. And, uh, you know, serendipitously, there I was, you know, uh, I became a venture capitalist, uh, you know, young, you know, I, was, I came in as a associate and then the rest, you know, became partner and then started my own firm. And, you know, the, we talk about the American dream and I think uh, well, you personify it. You really do. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Well, and you say luck. Well, what do they say? Oppor opportunity and hard work looks a lot like luck. <laughs> I mean, you, preparation looks a lot like luck. Obviously, you worked very, very hard. But that really is true. And I think about you. You are the personification of the American dream. Here you were fighting for your own freedom in your own country. And you come here as an immigrant. And now look what you've done. I mean, anything is possible in America if you put your mind to it. And that's that's probably one of the biggest messages I'm trying to I tried during the campaign, obviously, to portray. But it's also my post one of my big post campaign missions, which is anything. You know, we still live in the one place where anything is possible. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's just what an amazing just think about the freedom that comes with that. Oh, absolutely. Now, how long had you lived in Nevada before you decide? People always pronounce it wrong. For those who don't, it's Nevada like banana. I always tell people, uh, how long had you lived in Nevada before you decided to run for governor? Uh, I, I was smart enough. You know, I knew the, the that people would criticize you if, if you, you know, so I had been about eight years. Okay. I, uh, the, the, the timing, the timing for running was slightly pushed forward. Uh, I had thought it would be later, but because of COVID, uh, you know, COVID made me want to jump into oh, the, yeah. given how I thought Governor Sisolak mishandled the situation, mm -hmm. um, you know, that that's what made me decide I, I would push the, the agenda sooner. Mm -hmm. And you ran a very positive campaign. You didn't, you know, you didn't attack other candidates. You just ran a positive campaign. You know, just the other day I had a, uh, a political consultant, you know, I'm Zach Moyle on my radio show in St. Louis. And we were talking about the debates and things like that. 
And he was saying that one of the things, and you know this, having been a candidate, that Republicans get wrong, and both sides do it, but Republicans, they're all spending all their time tearing down the other guy or girl and not spending their time introducing themselves to people and saying, this is who I am. And I attended many of your campaign events, and you would always talk about who I am. You weren't tearing other people down. And it's not that you can't criticize other people at times, because if you didn't think you were the best candidate, you wouldn't be running. But you also were very positive. And people need to have somebody to vote for, not necessarily something to vote against. We all knew what Sisolak was doing and destroying the state of Nevada with all these COVID lockdowns. And I, I really appreciated that. Something else was funny. I was at one of your events, and you have the patience of Job's. This is why I could never run for office, because you were talking to these people, and they were they were complaining about how much everything costs, the high cost of rent. Okay, And then you had other people 10 feet away from them screaming about putting a ring around the valley. We've got to stop all this growth. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you want rent to be low, yet you don't want them to build any more apartments. How does that even work? See, now you were very cheerful and nice and polite to everybody. And I was over there seething in the corner thinking, this is why I don't run for office. And so tell me about what you learned uh, it, running for an office and traveling the entire state, all of our counties, and getting to meet people in what we call in Nevada, call the rurals, and all these different places, people you might not have normally met. What was the thing, your overwhelming takeaway from running for office in the state of Nevada? Um, to me, it was how diverse we are. And I don't mean this in the progressive sense. Right. I'm, uh, you know, whether some, but but everybody had the same spirit. You know, there's still a spirit in our state that I don't see in other places. Um, people people want to thrive. People want to do well. Whether it's somebody who's a farmer, uh, you know, up north, or someone who works, uh, you know, at a casino in Vegas. They, they, you know, people come here to to achieve success. Um, and there are many, many ways to achieve success in our state. That's that's one of the things. And I, I it was uh, it was refreshing because it felt like I would say California felt like 30 years ago, mm -hmm. where people still believe and they want to succeed and they want to do a good job for their families and they want their the future generations to do better than the old than they than they do themselves. It's probably the thing that I took away the most is how, how diverse, but then how we all had the same spirit. You know, I called it the, the battle-born spirit, which, oh, yeah. uh, again, you know, it's not something you you know just overnight. Because when people think about, about our state, they think about Vegas, first and foremost. Then they think about Tahoe. And that's it. Right. You know, there's so much more to it. Yeah. And there's a lot of the spirit of independence. Like you said, a lot of people were not happy with what was going on in the state during COVID and things like that. And they don't need government breathing down their necks. And a lot of people felt that was happening. And thank God that uh, Sisolak's out the door because it was terrible. And, you know, you know, they're coming back again. You know, they are. They're, they're not done. And whether it's under the guise of climate change, which a lot of people have been predicting for a couple of years, this mythical climate change, or something else, you know they're going to come back and try to put us back in mass or try to push us down in some way. They're just scheming behind the scenes, trying to come up with ways to do that. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? What are you seeing? You know, I think, uh, so So this is where I, again, you know, what, what we do next is really important. Um, the first time... 
you, you know, if, if I, if, if I, if I do something, you know, and because of what you told me, shame on you. The second time, if I do the same thing, shame on me. I think there is enough uh, intellectual and just common sense resistance to the crazy, the crazies and, and th those types of people that, you know, they might try and it might work in a couple of places, but it's not going to work everywhere. And there, and that ship has sailed. And mm -hmm. if they want to fight the last battle, that's their problem. Right. It's just not going to happen. I don't, uh, people are too wise. I mean, I, I, I travel all the time, as you know, and, and, and I have this OCD thing where I count masks at airports. <laughs> um, even San Francisco, you know, it's like 20%. I mean, that's wow, that. really that high. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But that's if you if you think about it, because you know, a year ago, two years ago, it was 80%, even right. though it stopped masks. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I think yes, they're they're right there, they're trying to push it. Um luckily we have an intellectual group that is fighting them, you know, Dr. J, Vinod Prase, so on and so forth. Very credible people, Marty Macquery, etc. Mm -hmm. So we have we have the if you like the tip of the spear, which is a bunch of amazing physicians that know their stuff. Uh, but then there's the rest of us, and we're like, no, we're not going to do this. Right. And every Republican governor is not going to fall for that. So now we that's at least half of the states. So and even in big cities, you know, you don't see it as much as you used to before. So I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic, but I also don't, I'm not stupid. They, they are coming and they are going to try. And if you, and I'm always questioning the data whenever they, you know, they, it's become that the number of COVID cases is an end. It should not be an end. It's a means to an end. What does this mean? Mm -hmm. What does this mean to hospitals? What does this mean to deaths? Don't tell me the numbers have gone up. Are you, are you tracking colds and flu the same way? Right. Right. So, we just have to resist and I think we can and we will and but it's not gonna be easy. Yeah, and there's you know common sense. I mean the idea they're saying now seventy five percent well are, they said seventy five to eighty percent of people who died from COVID anyway didn't die from COVID. They died from or they could have been saved early in this we could get it all that. We all understand those of us with brains understand what's happened. And I do think you're right about a lot of people waking up. Most of us were like, look, okay, we'll sit home for two weeks. Remember 14 days to flatten the curve? We were willing to do that because okay, maybe this is a big thing. We stay indoors. But after that, when we realized there was a bigger plan, a bigger agenda ahead, because a lot of people hadn't thought that before. And I think, I hope that most people are not going to buy into this again. I really, I know they'll try, but hopefully they won't be successful, at least not here. But uh, I, I couldn't believe what, what they did the last time and, and how many people were destroyed. You know, businesses and, and especially small businesses were completely destroyed as a result of what they did. He'll never recover. And mental health for children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was terrible. Another thing that you were very strong on is education. And I know that, I mean, the teachers unions right now, I'm not going to ask you to get in that mess, but the teachers unions are arguing with the CCAEA in Nevada is arguing with the CCSD. What a mess. But it's so interesting. I had an exchange the other day with somebody. I didn't realize who she was at first on Twitter, but it turns out she's, I guess, the union president or somebody. And she says, well, if, you know, if attitudes like yours, you know, that'll be the end of education as we know it. I said, yeah, that's the problem. Education as we know it. That's the problem. I said, keep talking. You're proving my point. And, and I know that you're big on school choice. And what I don't understand about these people is they complain about the class size. 
Okay, fine. Then let's have school choice. But they want they want to own your children. And they don't want them to have options. And you and I both know, because you, you, you know, obviously you know the issues and you traveled around the state quite a bit. I've had people say who are uh, lower income folks say, well, if you do that, then lower income people, they can't be bust all these schools. Well, no, no. If you gave every parent in this state a handful of money, whatever, let's go with 8,000. All right. Give them that much money. There will be schools popping up on every corner because people will be competing for that money. Your child, no matter what neighborhood you live in, can walk to school, but they never want to address those issues ever. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, very complex, uh, you know, the, the, the bigger these things get, the, the, the tougher they are to solve. Yeah. Um, when I, when I, you know, my platform, if you like, was going to be, uh, we're going to sit with all the stakeholders and we're going to figure this out mm-hmm. and I'm going to hold the purse as governor. And if we don't get to the place that I like, then it's going to get pretty bad. Right. And, and I'm ready to live with this because I don't care about reelection. Yeah. The idea would be to just show the parents who are the most powerful players in this whole situation, what this is, what's, what's happening and how it's happening. And if you create a, crisis for lack of a better word they'll start paying attention and to me it was just let's sit in a room and figure it out yeah Yeah. because you all care and somewhere in there uh, there would have been school choice and once people experience it and see what it's like it can only go in one direction which is more and more of it Mm because it works and the data shows that it works um so it's, and even now, I mean, you know, I don't know if you saw my tweet, but it's like a, it's like a theater of the absurd. Mm-hmm. That oh, yeah. Our school district is fighting our teacher because we're 50th. Right. <laughs> How is that helping anybody? They come up with these so-called, what, uh, guidelines that are never followed these goalposts that they're supposed to, to achieve. And it just winds up, give us more money, give us more money. Well, that's not solving the problem as we all know. Yeah, my my uh, stump speech, I don't know if you had seen it, was uh, I talked about the, all we've done is give more money. Yep. We cannabis, we gave more money. We're always giving more money and we're going in the wrong direction. So obviously, I don't think it's money. Uh, what else can we do? Yeah. And that was really my big, my big discussion on all of that. And, uh, you know, our, our country is great because we have 50 laboratories. And at some point, we should be looking at the places that are doing better mm-hmm. and see what they're, you know, spending per student, uh, school choice, uh, number of charter schools. It's feasible. And I think then you have to have the courage to uh, to do it. I agree with that. We need more of that. So what's in the future for Guy Nora? I know you're not finished contributing to Nevada, contributing to America. What do you got planned? My next fund uh, that I'm working on is going to be called the American Dream Fund. And my idea is, I'm, you know, it's not going to be life sciences anymore. It's going to be entrepreneurs that are trying to live the American dream. Mm, that's fantastic. And oh, that's what wow. I'm working, who, that's who I want to be working with and, mm-hmm. want, uh, you know, finance and, and, and help grow. And, and so it's, it's a different, it's a different approach, but, but I think it's, uh, it's needed. I mean, that's one thing you asked me, what, what did I learn from being, from being out there? Uh, people still want to succeed in any of the, of the businesses that they're starting. And uh, not everybody has 
the um, expertise or the knowledge or the advice that would come from someone like me and people, not just me, but people like me. Right. And my next fund will be, it'll be just that. I think that's great. So what, when you're talking to somebody and you're considering funding them, what, what are some of the things that you look for? Obviously somebody with a great idea, right? A great story, yeah. uh, maybe a great product. Uh, what, what do you look for? You know, the number, especially with the, my, with the, the, the next thing I'm working on, it's just the person, you know, it's, it's really, uh, what you're looking for is someone who's an entrepreneur defined as somebody who's almost crazy enough to take on huge risk that is much larger than than any than than normal people would so that's the first thing uh just just uh you know the the courage of their conviction and the second thing is judgment mm-hmm. you know uh I, I can't be there every day guiding people so every day an entrepreneur makes dozens and dozens of decisions and it's all about their judgment right and we need these other two things i mean yeah yeah you you know because everything else you can read in a book right Mm -hmm. how to be an entrepreneur okay yeah i know do a b c d e f how to write a business plan executive summary anything that you read in a book is not what i'm looking for because anybody can read a book and copy so it's more these intangibles yeah I love that. And that's true because so many people have had great ideas and never moved forward with them. But the, the people who are entrepreneurs, they are a different breed of cat. They just are. I've known people like that. I dated a few when I was single. They're a different breed of cat. And they, they see things completely differently. And they, you know, I have a friend who's had various businesses over the course of the years. I've known him always very ethical. And this guy can spin poop into gold. And he's done it every time he's had a business. I don't care what happens. This guy, he actually sold his business at one point to somebody who ran it into the ground. My friend had to come back in. <laughs> he just has, and he's done completely different businesses over the course of his career. He just is wildly successful. He's got, and it's not an accident. It's ethics. He's very, very smart, but he's got that, just that ability to do it in ways that I certainly don't. And, and you know, it's funny what I, what I learned, uh, and that's one of the things I also learned in the campaign, which was, you know, my whole, my whole world was consisted of, you know, MD, PhDs that had these incredible scientific ideas to start things. And then we see what happens. Um, I just met, you know, People in normal businesses doing normal things, whether it's hotel management or restaurants or just you name it, air conditioning, you know, and the, it's funny. The, the, the common thread is what you said. It's it's this personality. It's uh, 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 common sense. It's hard work. It's competence, judgment. Uh, these are the common sense things that, that everybody does that's successful. And. The world is full of people like this. And I think the American dream allows you to do that. I yeah. mean, there's a culture, but there's also, we still have an infrastructure that works. Uh, yeah, you know, and that's what I'm fighting for also is um, making sure we don't get overregulated uh, by, you know, lunatics. Uh, and that, that, that's, that's another fight you got to fight. No, and that's important. That's one of the things, too, that you talked about in your race for governor. I mean, you can't you've got to have a good business climate because people and you deal with these people all the time. They're thinking not this year, next year. They're thinking, what is the climate going to be like five years from now for my company, for my idea? 
what is the business climate or the state climate or whatever, the tax climate. You need to be able to plan long term. And you can't have a governor, and this is what's happened. I'm not picking on our current governor, but it's happened in the past with legislative sessions. They look around and they say, oh, that person's successful. Let's stick it to them right? When mining's not doing well, they leave them alone. All of a sudden they're doing well. They want to come in and tax them more. What, you know, pick the industry, right? You cannot have a state that's run that way. If you want to attract a diverse number of businesses, you simply can't do it. They've got to have something they can count on. Exactly. And, and that was my big thing. My big thing was, uh, and by the way, I, I called it the Stockholm syndrome in our state, mm -hmm. which was that uh, businesses in our state, the industries in our state will uh, point at each other when they're successful so that Carson uh, uh, takes more money from them. That's right. That's, 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 cra that's crazy. I think business should be united and mm -hmm. saying, leave us alone. We'll create a lot of revenue. Just get out of the way. Yeah, I uh, saw a story today about how the water district now, I'm sure you saw this, is now going to evaluate when a company comes to Nevada, whether how, how much water they're going to use and whether that even pencils out for the state. What? What? Yeah. I mean, this is where we are now. Do you want to attract business or not? Or do you want to rave the red flag and say, don't come here because it's a crappy business environment? We see what's happened in other states that people have fled to come to Nevada. We've got to keep Nevada like that as, as friendly as possible for business. Yes. And that's 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 very, very important. And I think when even people whisper anything about taxes, mm -hmm. tax, uh, I go crazy and I'll fight that with every breath I have. Um, I think we you, you know, I did have a uh, tax reform uh, plan in my own head when we were in, a, in a, as part of our as part of our campaign. I think we can reform taxes and make things easier for businesses in our state even more. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you you know you, we've got we, we we need to be vi we need to stay vigilant. You know the reality is that is that the businesses that are leaving California are going to Arizona, they're going to Tennessee, they're going to Florida, they're going to Texas. We're not getting the share that we should. Right. We're getting our some, and I think we're the best position to get most of them because, you know, if you if you're from the Bay Area and you come to Reno, uh, you're only four hour away drive from your yeah. friend restaurants and your relatives and whatever whatever you left behind right so we're very well positioned but you know we have a long way to go before we capture a larger share of these um and and during the Sisolak administration we didn't even have a chance because he didn't want to they didn't right. care they don't you know? care yeah well now These, we now hopefully we care it's going to get better i hope cares. exactly Gaynor, thanks for being here. Thanks for being in Nevada. Thanks for being in America. And I appreciate you taking time with the Don't Shrink Back podcast and video series. Okay, folks, don't forget, follow me, Don't Shrink Back. The website is Don't Shrink Back. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Don't Shrink Back. And you can recommend a guest if you go to don'tshrinkback.com if you think there's somebody who needs to be highlighted in the series. And I hope you're enjoying this. We're trying to talk to people who are culturally courageous, spiritually courageous, um, you know, politically courageous, because we don't have enough of that nowadays. And there are people out there doing it, and we're going to highlight them. Until we meet again, check out don'tshrinkback.com and don't shrink back. Don't shrink back.